We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. Week 11 waiver wire adds the week 10 injury report, some running back snaps, a look ahead to Monday Night Football, and everything in between to get you ready for your fantasy football week. Joining me on the program in just a second is going to be Sal Vetri. But first, I need to tell everyone out there, and thanks for tuning in live like we are every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. But if you want to get into a draw for 20 DK bucks, easy way to do so. Smash the like button for the episode. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. Tell me your favorite waiver wire pickup for week 11. The other way to do so, that audio podcast the pat mayo experience you subscribe to that you download the episodes you leave a five-star review your DraftKings handle something you like about the show and boom you too will be in the draw for 20 dk bucks if you want to find all of the waiver wire pickups which do get changed throughout the week once injuries happen we'll get to that when we get to running back here momentarily because some news could drastically shift what happens in the running back rankings moving number two to number one or one number one to number two we'll see uh but those change after monday night football and then again tuesday morning and then again tuesday evening every time there is news after monday night football i'll update the rankings so you are prepared for your waivers come Tuesday evening to submit those claims. The winners of the 20 DK dollars from last week, we have MD the Dream, Monroe Da Kitty, Lathlaw 8414 Chances, Glory Hole. I feel like that's like two and three weeks for Glory Hole. Hot move, Glory Hole. You know, getting some lucky glory here. Uh, Thomas MR10, Tystar243, and one Bears fan. One, coming off a win, two. I mean, at least the Bears. All the winners of 20 DK bucks. Hopefully, that will be in your DK accounts later on Monday, maybe early on Tuesday. We'll see how quickly they get up on it. The link for the Pat Mayo Experience DraftKings Open will be added once the link is available to me. Uh, so if you just refresh back, you'll find it in the description of this podcast or video. And boom, you can enter $15 to play. No rake, $45,000 of guaranteed money. So go check that out. Let's bring him in right now, Sal Vetri from the Sal Vetri YouTube channel. What's going on, my man? What's going on, Pat? Yeah, I'm excited to break this down. We, we just came off of what was probably, what, the best week in the NFL, like five games, six games on yesterday's slate, coming down to the last minute or so, two teams losing on a field goal. Uh, pretty good slate. Ex- excited to break that down and look ahead as well. 
Yeah, it was fun. Um, like you said, a few teams lose by a field goal. There was a bunch of one and seven teams that end up getting the victory. It's funny. Everyone's kind of like writing off the bottom. The Patriots are terrible. They lost to the Ravens a week ago. And then they go on bye week. And then a whole bunch of one team, one one win teams. I almost said one Tim wins. One one win teams. It's a rough Monday here. I know it's Monday afternoon, but I was questionable all morning for this show with a severe back injury. I felt like Matt Stafford out here. Uh, so the drugs are hitting me right now, the back medication drugs. But what was the single biggest thing that you noticed from week 10, whether it be like a running back share uh, that you were just kind of surprised about? Was it Kareem Hunt getting so much run against the Bills for Cleveland, even though Nick Chubb stayed on the field almost the entire time? What stood out to you the most? Yeah, individual players. The Kareem Hunt thing I wanted to see all week, thinking he would get the, the percentage of the snaps he got, I thought was definitely high. I was thinking 30 or 40%, but they played on the field a lot together. So that was probably one of the things I wasn't foreseeing. So that definitely stood out. Um, Literally right before lock, we see that LaShawn McCoy gets ruled out for a healthy scratch. And the the early news is that they want to rest him and save him for the playoffs. Like this is the NBA. So uh, that's interesting. Damian Williams goes out, sees 24 touches. So some of the running back things stood out in that regard. And then really talking about Damian Williams, that Chiefs game in general was the one that probably stood out the most on the entire slate for me. Although there was a lot of really good finishes. Let's talk about Kareem Hunt for a second. Uh, it came out on Monday morning that Antonio Callaway had been benched for disciplinary reasons. So let's say he's active and actually involved in the Browns game plan on Thursday night. And maybe he lost his job because of this. But a lot of it was Kareem Hunt. Yes, he was lining up in the backfield a bit. But if you look at the snap shares for Cleveland, Chubb played 81% of the snaps. Kareem Hunt played 54% of the snaps. A lot of those were out of the slot where normally, or even out wide at receiver, where normally you would see Antonio Callaway. If Callaway is back, would you expect Hunt to play so much? Uh, yeah, you probably see a little bit of a kick down, but I think that the way they were running it was you did see Hunt in the slot, a couple of wide receiver screens on the outside set up for him. I mean, he caught seven balls in this game, but there were times where they had both running backs in the backfield. They had Hunt coming in motion on some plays. So I don't think you'll see that drastic of an overlap of it. They're kind of down some personnel, like you mentioned, with Callaway disciplinary reasons. But I do think this is a spot where they were playing Dontrell Hilliard 40% of the snaps the last two weeks before this. I think you could see 40, 45% of the snaps for Hunt moving forward and sort of a 10 to 15% overlap with him on the field. I mean, you saw nine targets. They wanted to use him, get him involved. I don't think they just dump him from the game plan. If Callaway comes back, which if anything, Callaway's been the guy that nonstop this entire season getting suspended now twice. It's not really a guy I don't think they want to run the offense around. Yeah, so anyone who was concerned about Nick Chubb, 81% of the snaps should clear that up a little bit. Maybe he doesn't hit those heights once again. But as long as he's seeing at least a 70% snap share of the Browns' backfield, should be good to go as an impact fantasy player. And although he didn't get into the end zone, uh, as someone who rostered a lot of Nick Chubb on DraftKings this week, um, he had about 38 million chances to score from the one-yard line and never got in. Yeah, he had six six attempts from inside the two-yard line. And then the one that probably killed me the most, because I had some job. I have him in one of my uh, biggest um, just season-long leagues dating back for years now. And he had a shuffle pass that was just more so dropped by him that more times than not, it's just one of those walk-in one-yard touchdowns behind two blockers for a running back. So not only can he not get in on six one-yard rushes, he can't even get in and catch a shuffle pass, which is, what, six inches of a pass. So, uh, yeah, brutal red zones twice. That was two separate drives for uh, Cleveland in that game. 
Uh, if you want to see the full running back snap shares from week 10, you can check out my article up on dkplaybook.com right now uh, if you want to see that. Or you can just go to Instagram at the PME, and there's another giveaway associated with that. You follow me on Instagram at the PME. You see a sports photo pop up there. You give it a quick heart. Leave your DraftKings handle as a comment, and you'll be in that draw for 20 DK bucks. And you get info along with it, too. And this isn't even like Pat poorly analyzes info that's there this is just straight info so you can do with whatever you want with it uh but these are the numbers that came out for the snap shares there was a lot of guys that played a bunch of snaps in week 10 uh over like 75 percent i think the most hilarious one is kalen balage played 82 percent of the snaps i know that we talked about him a little bit last week but he did nothing with all these snaps and all these touches it was kind of funny yeah, he had 20 overall touches on the ground. And I, I think I was on the podcast last week saying that I don't think Belage is a guy that they want to just go out there and they've been so hesitant to even give him half the work, let alone 80%. But I guess we can also analyze it the other way that they haven't even had Gaskin or Lard active, Layard active for any of these weeks anyways. So I don't think they have confidence in those guys. So yeah, getting 80% of the snap, seeing good volume, but doing nothing with it, as we've seen all season long, maybe this week we start to see sort of a, a little bit of a pivot to these other guys behind him. Let's take a quick break because I need to tell you, in case you didn't know, the Showtime sports documentary film Pariah, The Lives and Deaths of Sonny Liston, chronicles the tragic life and suspicious death of perhaps the most vilified and misunderstood boxer of all time, Sonny Liston. Tune in Friday, November 15th at 9 p.m. on Showtime. Back to the show. Uh, let's talk about the Pat Mayo Experience Listeners League just for one minute here before we get into the pickups and we get into the injuries. Do you think you can guess the winning lineup uh, this week? It scored 223.24 points. Good for 5K. Yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll try it out. We'll try it out again. I think there's this week was probably a little less concentrated, a bunch of players. Quarterback, I feel like, is between two ways, but I'll go with Lamar Jackson. No, Patrick Mahomes is the starting quarterback in this lineup. That's what I was going to say is the other one. I think they scored very even, like in the in the low 30s each. Okay, so Patty Mahomes, Derrick Henry? Uh, no Derrick Henry on this team wow. either. Yeah. Big over two. Um, Christian McCaffrey? No Christian McCaffrey in this lineup. It's it's really, really wow. bizarre. Like when you look at it, you hit. So it's, it's all the other big guys that kind of went off, but only two players in this lineup, a 5.1% Darius Slayton, who scored 37.1 points and a 5.4% Aaron Jones, who scored 27.3 points. Uh, Cause we always talk about like ownership beyond those guys who were in the single digits. The next lowest owned player in this lineup was Patrick Mahomes at 14.3%. Very chalky lineup, just two little swerves off and boom, you're in the money. So it's Mahomes, David Montgomery, and Aaron Jones as the running backs. Chris Godwin, Tyreek Hill, Christian Kirk as the receivers. Darius Slayton as the flex. Mike Gesicki as the tight end, good for a quality 4.8 points. You can still win even with a dud in your lineup. That's what these smaller contests allow you to do. And then the Steelers D, good for 25 points at 17.8% ownership at a cheap price. And there you have it, a quick $5,000 in your account if you played in the Pat Mayo Experience Open. Well, yeah, what's, that stands out to me too because – yeah, like you said, I mean, you don't always have to just go far off the board. He had a couple of plays that banked really big with Slayton um, and Aaron Jones. But the thing that stood out is Gasecki was like one of the only punt tight ends that doesn't score close to 10 fantasy points. You had Doyle down there, Olsen, even uh, I think Red Ellison outscores him. So surprising that nobody else can kind of make it through with uh, maybe uh, twice as many fantasy points from a tight end. But yeah, n- nice lineup overall. Slayton was a big one. Well, it's funny, like when we talk about avoiding chalk, clearly you don't need to because this guy won with a bunch of chalk in his lineup. So shout out. 
Bobby Miller, 8-2, his third of three lineups. He maxed it out, so good thing he did it this week. He spent the 45 bucks instead of the 15 bucks to get those three entries, and it severely paid off this week. But the super-duper chalky guys from the slate this week, like no Michael Thomas in this lineup, although that would have been really good chalk because he scored a he scored beaucoup of points here. But Chris Godwin, 28% ownership, only 13 points. David Montgomery, 55% ownership. Six points. Mike Gesicki, 27% ownership, 4.8 points. Now, the other really good chalk in this lineup was Christian Kirk, 33%. Obviously, he was a slate breaker. You needed to have Christian Kirk at his price point in your lineup, just probably like you needed to have Slayton as well. Uh, but sometimes just if you fail, like there was very few people this week, myself included, that have been like, you know what? I'm going to fade the David Montgomery chalk. I was good with fading the Ronald Jones chalk. Not a great move for his price point. I was good with fading the Devin Singletary chalk. Turned out to be a pretty good move. But when it came to looking at this game, the Lions run defense, how the Bears have been rolling, at least lately, and then especially when Matt Stafford got declared inactive at the last minute, being like, oh, this is going to be all running all the time for David Montgomery. This is not great news for his future prospects. No, not at all. And yeah, I am with you on the David Montgomery train. He was my most owned running back of the week. The guy I liked the most all see- all week long, his ownership com- coming up in it. Yeah. Uh, the Pat Mayo experience uh, that, that open or um, the tournament there, that, that definitely has sharp people in it. I mean, it was 20% higher ownership on him there than a lot of other contests around the industry. So um, people were on it. It was, in my opinion, a good move because like you said, no Stafford and there was three to four players, two ruled out two be playing banged up on the Detroit defensive line. That's been awful all season long, just injured. So it was a good spot, and he just absolutely lays an egg. Uh, just no rushing touchdowns, what he needs there, and no receptions in the game. So brutal spot for him in the week. Um, yeah, not great overall. And, and Gusecki getting up there in 20% ownership, I thought was surprising for the week overall. Yeah, I mean, 27 up here right now. And like uh, Rhett Ellison in the contest was 18% ownership. We talked a lot about this on, I mean, I talked about it on the Friday show, then I spoke about it again on the Sunday morning live show, that there were enough cheap, like, I forget who it was it who, Someone on Twitter asked me about it because I talked about it, spoke about it with Levitan on last week's DraftKings show as well, that the chalky cheap tight end or the chalky cheap receiver is always a good fade spot just because they're like, it's not to say that they can't score a bunch of points and they do score a bunch of points. You're absolutely buried, but I, I would like to go back and look to see who like the $3,400 tight end is, uh, that is, you know, over 15% owned in one of these large contests that actually came through on value. It seems like close to 90% of the time, you're better off just not taking them. Yeah. More times than not, they have a bad quarterback throwing them the ball. And when they start to get high in ownership in that three K range, and even this week we had red Ellison when it's just so cheap, you're banking on a touchdown. Like they'll probably project out or just score six or seven fantasy points, three catches for 30, 40 yards. Like Ellison did this weekend, whoever falls into the end zone, which happened to be Doyle this weekend is the better play in that range. So once they start getting chalky, you're just banking on touchdowns, which is so variant that you might as well go ahead and fade it 20% in some of these contests. You said 27%. Uh, yeah. I thought that was crazy for Gusecki who had his only good game ever. Yeah. And then uh, first catch of the game puts the ball on the ground for the dolphins. <laughs> Yeah, fumbles that one away. Uh, ended up catching some balls later in the drives, but nowhere near enough for the production and at the at that ownership to really pay it off.
Yeah, I, I think you hit on this properly, where you're really banking on a touchdown for them to exceed full value. Like, And listen, you didn't need to fade them, and maybe the price savings is what it is. Like, There's a big difference between Rhett Ellison at $2,500. Like, Getting that extra $600 worth of savings this week, if it allowed you to get up to another position and that guy goes off, then the trade-off is probably worth it. But there was enough people at 3100 3200 3500 at tight end that you could get off Gasicki pretty easily easily uh and get the same amount of points from it and then you're eliminating like if it's going to be 27 percent and all the other guys are five percent well does that one guy have almost six times better of a chance of catching a touchdown the other ones the answer is no so that is the spot where you definitely do want to look the other way almost every time the ellison one is different just because he was so cheap it'd be like using the 1500 defense on the week just what that allows you to do in the rest of your lineup i more or less understand that because even looking at it like number one and number two in the contest test their tight ends were Gasicki and Rhett Allison so it didn't end up making a difference maybe those extra savings got them up to the players that they need but the only two common players in those lineups were Slayton and Christian Kirk you could figure it out all the other ways if you wanted to because the second place lineup is the one that you're talking about Lamar Jackson Marquise Brown Christian McCaffrey Michael Thomas Rhett Allison Darius Slayton it only took like the the one or two low owned guys and that's all it was yeah, exactly. And I think you would have probably seen more weeks than not a guy like Tyree Kill, who one of the best games I've ever seen him play, if not the best, just pop off this week as well. But since his price tag was up there, you ended up getting the guys who scored just as many fantasy points for 5,200 in Kirk and uh, well below that price tag in, in Slayton. So it allows you to pay up at other spots. So yeah, it was an interesting week with some of those lower end wide receivers. And it seems like every week that happens, somebody's going to just pop off and two of them did this week. Uh, let's just talk briefly a little bit more about week 10. Uh, the one note that I had is I've been just horrendous gambling the past three weeks good pretty decent Sunday for me actually because the Bears came through I got a push in the Browns game so I got my money back winning week for me so first one in a while but when you're on a bad betting streak you always just anticipate the worst happening and with the Bears up 20 to 13 because they had missed that extra point a little bit earlier on that I was convinced that the Lions were going to come back and somehow tie that game Uh, even when I saw the penalty flag thrown on the final play of the game I was just like oh god it's gonna be passed interference in the end zone this is horrible news turns out driscoll just threw it past the line of scrimmage and when you're watching the game without sound it's one of like five tvs on you're like it almost makes it a it almost makes the viewing experience a bit more intense because like immediately like when i watched the uh, replay like the quick game uh this morning when i went through it again that you know they immediately said oh he's past the line of scrimmage when you're watching it without sound you don't know that you're like oh god what's happening it really ratchets it up just a little bit but There was a drive in that game when the Bears scored their first touchdown that they basically ran the same play like six times in a row. It was just throw over the middle for 12 yards to a guy who was standing completely wide open. It really did help Mitch Trubisky, but it was that may be may have been one of the worst games I think I've actually like sat down and watched almost from end to end. The Browns Bills game was pretty close as well, but bad game overall, man. Yeah, yeah. I thought that game was bad as well. I mean, there was no points being scored. It was like 6 nothing somehow. Detroit about to go into the half. There's a turnover, and then you see a point scored off of it. Makes it 7-6 before the half. And then right at the second half, you see the two quick touchdowns for the Bears. And they pretty much do nothing after that. They score again off of a turnover to get their third touchdown. But there was really not much there. I mean, in a game where Trubisky throws three touchdowns and he's throwing three touchdowns, I think, on three consecutive drives, you're like, oh, what is this guy's stats going to be? He's going to be winning tournaments. He had like 
100 and something, 100 and middling yards, 140 yards in the three touchdowns. They don't really do much on the ground. Montgomery burns a lot of people at 60 yards. Then you have Jeff, Jeff Driscoll, a highlight reel, is throwing to himself probably in that game yes. other than just interceptions. So it, And also, I mean, he did have one really nice throw, uh, a nice adjustment, maybe a push-off by Kenny Gallatin in the, in the end zone. But those three or four plays that I said are like the only thing you could take from this game. If that's all you saw, you would know it would happen. Uh, if Stafford is out moving forward, do you think it's going to be okay? Because this is still a really tough patching, passing situation for Jeff Driscoll, who I don't think had topped he had topped 180 yards once in his career before yesterday's game. And one of those was the long – I mean, there was a bunch of garbage time, then coming back at the end, and the long throw to Galladay as well uh, to get him over that number. But do you think that Galladay is going to see a significant step down? Because it did seem like when Driscoll dropped back and he was going to throw, he just had eyes for Galladay. Yeah, he had eyes for Galladay and Jones to an extent, which he probably should. But it's definitely going to be a drop back, in my opinion, just in terms of keeping drives alive. I mean, it took sort of a, a Hail Mary type of throw to and maybe even a push off to get Galladay some sort of fantasy production in the end zone on that big play. So there's going to be a drop off just from Stafford to him. And this line's offense in general, you're down maybe your top two running backs now with Ty Johnson leaving that game, I believe with a concussion. And now your quarterback, it's just really tough to even win games, keep drives alive. This was one that they really had six, nothing going into the half. And it just got away from them in the third quarter, had it down the stretch. Like you said, goes over the line of scrimmage incomplete anyways, but a game that's probably um, you take positives away for the lines. And if you're the bears, you just are happy. You got out of there with a victory. Let's jump into the running backs. We'll start with the injury report. Saquon Barkley. I just have a bunch of questions marks next to his name. They're going on by next week, but I don't know if he's actually hurt or they're just saying he's hurt to excuse uh, his one yard of rushing. Um, that's not great, as I hear. Uh, Devonta Freeman left the game with a foot injury. He is getting an MRI on Monday, so he kind of hinges on who the best running back pickup of the week is. Gio Bernard exited the game. He is questionable for week 11. Jordan Wilkins exited for the Indianapolis Colts, and that was an interesting snap share with the Colts down the entire time. Hines and Mack almost split snaps for the Colts yesterday, which was kind of odd. You mentioned Ty Johnson left the game with a concussion. No word on him yet. Mark Walton still suspended. Darius Geis expected to return this week. James Connor has a shoulder injury, missed the week, but is expected to play on Thursday night. That's what Mike Tomlin said on Monday that he would have practiced in full on Monday if the Steelers practiced on Monday. These Monday injury reports for Thursday games are just absolute nonsense. You can just make up whatever you want and say it. Benny Snell, no word on him yet. Chase Edmonds, expect him to be at a little bit longer. Ito Smith, placed on injured reserve for the Falcons. And Chris Thompson may return this week against the Jets. He's been out for a while. But as it stands right now, for the running back pickups of the week, I actually put J.D. McKissick at number one against Dallas. Uh, his pass-catching prowess can really come through. I do worry that we get into a situation where maybe they sign Jay Ajayi, they pick someone up off the street. But he did play over 70% of the snaps yesterday in the absence of Ty Johnson, which I thought was somewhat intriguing. Uh, Paul Perkins played 18% of the snaps. So unless they get someone else, I can still see it being maybe not 70% McKissick, but 60% McKissick, and he's going to be their pass catcher. I like that. However, if Devonta Freeman's actually out for a bit, Brian Hill is the pickup. Brian Hill might be the pickup anyway, but I think it's between those two guys of who you want. McKissick might be better this week in particular if Johnson sits, but for the long term, if Freeman is out, Brian Hill's someone you're going to want to have. Yeah, those are the two that I have above uh, on the top of my list right now. We'll see what happens with Freeman. Hill played over 50% of the snaps, pretty much got all the work once Freeman left that game. Hill was a guy that they wanted to see what they had in the preseason. After last season, the end of the year, last two games, he got some run and performed pretty well. They have confidence in him in terms of giving him the ball. So I like 
uh, Brian Hill a little bit more. But like you said, it's a toss-up. We'll see what happens with the Ty Johnson injury. We know Carrion's not going to return. And he has six receptions this past week for J.D. McKissick on uh, seven targets. And then the week before, he was outgaining Ty Johnson on about half the touches. So he's been very productive. Uh, you have to see what this whole entire Lions offense overall looks like. But if anything, you say Jeff Driscoll being in the game maybe another week or two should also help the pass catching role for McKissick. So short-term McKissick, uh, we'll see what happens with Devonta Freeman. Those are the two top guys I have on here. If for some reason you have Damian Williams uh, on your waiver wire, because a lot of people are probably frustrated with him, I do think it's a spot where if they're going to keep healthy scratching McCoy, and we don't know, maybe they get him right back, maybe that's all he needed for rest. But it's at least worth holding on to um, if you really just need a stash or the waivers go by and he's still there on a waiver wire. If Damian Williams was available in this player pool, he's still owned in more than 60% of the league, so he doesn't qualify for this list. I would have him at number one. Yeah, that makes sense. And exactly. That, that's what I figured. Um, same can be said for like guys like Joe Mixon. If anybody ever dropped these guys. And Joe Mixon had 30 rushing attempts as his team was just trailing the entire game. They just they don't care at all in Cincinnati right now what's going on. No, and Gio Bernard got injured in this game, so he has a knee sprain. He may miss the next week, maybe next couple weeks. So it's going to be all Joe Mixon going forward. Yeah, exactly. So if those two guys were really disappointing a lot of people, maybe they're not on the waivers, um, but it's a potential spot where they can help you later in the season or you just sell high on these guys after one week and don't try and ride the roller coaster for the next five or six weeks. So the rest of the list after McKissick and Hill, it then gets kind of cloudy. I have Darius Geis. I have Kalen Balaj. I have no expectations for either of those two. Adrian Peterson's been dropped in enough leagues that he's down there. What do you think happens with Darius Geis and Adrian Peterson? Like, it's a bad matchup against the Jets this week, for one thing. Their run defense is really the only thing that they do well. We saw that with Saquon Barkley. Frank Gore's also been put below the threshold. He only played 33% of the snaps this week to Devin Singletary, 67. And then Chris Thompson might return off just from being injured the past few weeks as well. So would you rather own Geis, Peterson, or Thompson? For me, obviously, by you can see my rankings, I'd go Geis, Peterson, and Thompson. I think that... That's open for debate, though, because, I mean, Peterson's just been used. Peterson has looked good. Callahan might say, you know what? We're an old-school running team. We'll run the ball 85 times a game if we want to. And lose, but we'll still do it. Yeah, I think it's interesting because if I own Adrian Peterson right now, I'm probably not dropping him to pick up Darius Geis. But if you don't own him and you, you just need a spot to pick somebody up, I think Geis is a guy who there's a lot of question marks around, but definitely upside in him, a younger player. Um, we talked about this a couple weeks back, I think, but – like Adrian Peterson's been fantastic. He's running behind an offensive line that's actually top five in run protection and run blocking over the last month of the season. So he's not only breaking tackles, he, he looks young, like he's looking good out there, but it's the end of the season and Darius Geis is returning. So maybe you just give him more work overall. Um, that being said, if I own Adrian Peterson, I'm probably not dropping him for Geis. Uh, it's just a tricky situation. So just based on that kind of analysis, I'd probably have Adrian Peterson slightly over Geis, but there's some upside for sure in him. You just, at the end of the day, it's probably going to cloudy the waters Really, especially if Thompson comes back and all these guys, it's going to be hard to rely on any of them. Yeah, and we don't even know who's starting at quarterback. I assume it's Dwayne Haskins, although Case Keenum might be unconcussed enough to start against the Jets this week. We'll see. But, I mean, this offense hasn't scored a touchdown in, like, four games or whatever the hell it is right now. I think it's like 11 quarters or something like that. So the fantasy upside of any of these guys just isn't very good. Yeah, the whole the whole environment right now in Washington is is terrible. Like, I imagine there's people on this team themselves or even a management that is just hoping these last six weeks go and fly by because this season has been just left and right, whether it's injuries or just looking terrible on both sides of the ball. Maybe they'll back their way into a first round pick, first overall pick somehow, but 
everything else is look pretty bad. Uh, the handcuff selections for the week. I have Alexander Madison at number one. Not only is he, I wouldn't say he's usable on a week-to-week basis, but he does things on a week-to-week basis, which is nice. And Cook, he would just assume the role of Cook if anything were happening. At least I think so. Pollard, I moved up Gallman a little bit because of this Barkley news, but he is the direct handcuff. Probably, I should probably move down Jalen Samuels a little bit, potentially. Uh, Reggie Bonifon, the biggest move of the week is I had Daryl Henderson where I now have Malcolm Brown. We just saw this with Malcolm Brown where he returned from injury this week and it had been Henderson. Henderson looked spry. Henderson looked pretty good. Uh, well, Brown had been out as a spell for Todd Gurley, but just looking at the snap share, it was, you know, 74% for Gurley in a game where they were down most of the way. Brown 16%, Henderson 10%. I do think it's still Malcolm Brown who gets first call if anything was to happen to Gurley. It might be more of a split than anything else, maybe a 60-40 split, maybe 70-30, 50-50, whatever it might be. But I do think that Malcolm Brown would be the one out ahead of Henderson in that situation. Yeah, I agree. I mean, out of, out of training camp, he just couldn't beat him out anyways, the rookie and Henderson, and they've liked Brown for a couple of seasons now. But also, like, the time that he was out, you had Henderson in the one game. I think he had, like, six touches, and he looked good. He had two big plays in that. But then in the past two games, kind of spelling Todd Gurley and, and even splitting direct work with him prior to this game, he really didn't stand out all that much. So I think they just feel more confident in terms of uh, trusting somebody to carry the ball in some of these games, not fumbling uh, with Malcolm Brown there. So, yeah, slightly ahead of him this week in a more pass friendly script but even in a game that's a little bit more and this one was closer to neutral even in a game even if they're leading big I think it's still gonna be Malcolm Brown getting more work wide receiver injuries from week 10 Tyler Boyd left the game towards the end with a leg injury no word yet on how serious that is Corey Davis missed the week with a hip injury Ryan Switzer in that aforementioned Steelers and Rams game has a back problem he exited the game and then you have Paris Campbell T.Y. Hilton Alshon Jeffrey Deshaun Jackson well Hilton and Campbell's going to be out a couple weeks. Hilton could be back this week. We'll see. Alshon was on by. He should be back for week 11. D.D. Westbrook was on by. He's almost most definitely going to be back for week 11. Deshaun Jackson, probably not so much. He's probably going to be out another month or so if he comes back at all. Brandon Cooks missed the game. No word yet on whether he'll return this year or not. He could be back next week. He could be out for the year. As we've seen with Sterling Shepard, once you have so many concussions, and even Vernon Davis and Jordan Reed uh, from the Redskins, and they've been dealing with their concussion issues. It's just you don't know what the timetable is going to be. So keep an eye out for him Adam Thielen with his hamstring um, I doubt that we end up seeing him again in week 11 uh, Will Fuller could return from his hamstring problem coming out of the bye but that's no certainty so he has actually been dropped in a bunch of leagues Kenny Stills is still available so if you have bench base having both of them if you need a receiver isn't the worst idea Nikhil Harry could be activated for the first time this year for the Patriots coming off of bye Sterling Shepard no word yet on what's going to happen with him and AJ Green he has that ankle problem it looks like the Bengals are in full thank mode no idea if he's ever coming back or if he's back next week dr jesse morse said on the friday show when i had him on that he wouldn't be stunned if we didn't see aj green at all for the rest of the season with a contract coming up just get yourself healthy for next season go sign for those big dollars so overall for the waiver wire heading into week 11 dd westbrook has been dropped in enough leagues now that he is owned in less than 60 percent. so i have him as my number one guy with nick Foles returning this week at indianapolis Devonte parker number two will fuller number three i think those are the big three pickups and then it's the same old guys as every single week pascal beasley tate russell gage dorsett kenny stills josh gordon if we get word like Fuller's still a good pickup either way because he's eventually going to come back. But if he sits, Kenny Stills is probably a better play for this week than a lot of those guys ahead of him, I think. 
Yeah, I agree. Definitely the, the thing with all those wide receivers and whoever just dealing with concussions, definitely good to just stay out on that side of it and, and wait a little longer, especially AJ Green with his injury. I think it's more so contract stuff, not wanting to just absolutely ruin your career at this point. So you see AJ Green probably not going to be there. So you have the Auden Tate still potentially available guys like that. I think the guys that you mentioned, if they are dropped, DD definitely is a, kind of a tier of his own up there and Fuller. If he's, if he's available in enough leagues, um, you saw James Washington sort of have a career game, six catches, 90 yards, a touchdown and seven targets. It's just a matter of how much does that stay up? Juju's going to have his games. Deontay Johnson played decent in that one. So it's not going to be consistent. I wouldn't think, but again, it's, it's worth a shot potentially. Um, I think Russell Gage is an interesting one. So maybe more of like a DraftKings cheaper priced play than a season long, but Hooper's expected to miss some time. Last I saw, um, he's going to, he's going to get an MRI, but they're expecting him to miss time. So the middle of the field is now wide open for Russell Gage. There's no Mohamed Sanu, obviously filling in for him. And now if there's no Hooper, I mean, you're having a guy seeing targets for the past two weeks now that they've played. Uh, and I think that only increases with Matt Ryan's propensity to target the middle of the field. Now his two top targets gone in a matter of weeks from his team. So I do like that. And then Darius Slayton, the big thing that I was concerned with with Slayton was obviously this Giants offense. We'll see what happens with Sterling Shepard. But Darius Slayton, I was only seeing four and a half, five targets a week. So sure, he has upside. We saw 14 targets this last week. If something kind of forms there, uh, it was a really good game getting separation. He had good matchups with no Daryl Roberts or um, Tremaine Johnson in for the Jets. But getting the volume is enough for me to kind of want to go there a little bit more. Yeah, so I just moved Darius Slayton up just looking at this right now. I moved to one spot behind Josh Gordon. I think a lot of what his productivity for the rest of the season is really based on the health of Evan Ingram and the health of Sterling Shepard. If both those guys come back, Slayton's relegated to a backup role once again. He'll be on the field, but in terms of like when we talk about progressions from Daniel Jones, maybe he does have a connection with Darius Slayton, but I think in the offhand chance that those guys both remain injured, I'll probably put him up behind Russell Gage. I like what you said there. The big thing about Russell Gage as well is if Hooper is out, we just saw a game where they were winning the entire time. Let's not pretend like the Falcons are a good team. Uh, I don't think all of a sudden they're just going to rattle off seven games and win towards the end of the year. If they're going to continue to be trailing in a lot of these games, and you're going to see a lot more opportunity for market share and overall volume for Russell Gage as well. So that's something that I would really focus on. Yeah, exactly. And even in the game where they were leading, he still sees five targets and then he saw seven targets the week before. So he's probably more times than not going to be touchdown dependent for him to really make an impact in your lineup. But if he's getting you PPR format wise, like 11 to 12 points and he's on your waiver wires, it could be worth it with another 16 buy coming up and then a couple more buy weeks after that. Oh God, there's another 16 buy coming up. Is that next week? I, I could be potentially wrong on that, but I remember when I was looking ahead like two or three weeks ago, seeing the two six teams, I wrote them down in my sheet right here, but I'll look. Oh, God. Yeah. So bye weeks for the upcoming week, Green Bay, Tennessee, the Giants and Seattle. So, yeah, maybe it is week week 12 could be another massive one. You think they just distribute these a bit more evenly? Like, do we really need the two team bye weeks? Yeah, I know. Right. And the two team bye weeks come at weird times, like week eight after they already had a couple of four team bye weeks. They go back to two team. But no. All right. So week 10 was the only 16, uh, 11 and 12 or four. And then they're done. OK, yeah. You have no idea how much time it saves me when I do these articles and rankings every single week when there are no bye weeks. And like, yeah, there's always one guy across the rankings who always gets like left in, even though he's on bye week, just because I missed the name. It sucks. That's funny. It's, I mean, it's a complete opposite for me in terms of like doing like game by game notes or something. It's, it's so much easier when there's six teams off the slate or at least on average, like two to four. Yeah. When you, yeah, when you do the individual game write ups, of course, it's just going to, you know, 
the less amount of the fewer amount of games, then all of a sudden yeah. the less writing you have to do. But I have my like ranking sheet from week to week to week, and you have to move players in, players out, move them back in, and then I. By just osmosis, there's one or two guys that just get... It's usually, like, guys at the very, very low end, like backups, because I try to rank as many players as possible who could potentially see players in games. Just funny how, content-wise, that ends up working out. Yeah, exactly. It's it's something that, both ways, it kind of tilts back and forth for each of us. But, yeah, I think it's... Uh, I think, so far, we just got two more four-team buys, and, and then we're completely done until the, the smaller slates in the playoffs uh, come around. Tight ends. We got some injuries. At t- Not that tight end was good to begin with, but it is becoming dark at tight end right now. George Kittle, doubtful for Monday Night Football. He could still technically go, but I have him questionable for Week 11. Evan Ingram missed Week 10. Uh, no word yet on whether or not he'll be able to play coming out of the Giants bye week in week 12. Austin Hooper, as you mentioned, left the game with a knee injury. He'll get an MRI, but early reports is that it's not good and that he's going to miss multiple weeks. Uh, Trey Burton exited the game for the Bears. He is doubtful for week 11. Then you have Ricky Seals-Jones, Jeff Hearman. Delaney Walker, Matt Lacoste, Jeff Swaim, and Vernon Davis. Some of those guys were on by. Some of those guys didn't play, but those were the ones who were nowhere to be found in week 11 and had an injury designation going in. So pickups at tight end for the week. I have Jack Doyle at number one right now, who's seen a pretty incredible uh, market share. Well, Perry Campbell and T.Y. Hilton are going to be out. And if they continue to be out, then it's going to be a lot of Jack Doyle. Darren Fells, Noah Fant coming off the bye week. O.J. Howard, who... Rebounded in a big way. Played a lot of snaps. Not only did he play a lot of snaps, played 98% of them, ran routes on a lot of them, which was the big problem earlier in the season. Goddard Herndon, Ebron Gesicki, uh, Vance McDonald, Irv Smith. But I think it's like the big four there that you really need to focus on for tight ends. Yeah, I agree. I think I'm a little bit lower on Noah Font. In, in terms of like career prowess, I like him a lot. But um, in that last game, I mean, backup quarterback still there. I know he had the big play for sure, uh, but Jeff Herman was out. We'll, we'll track his status. I haven't actually um, checked in on Jeff Herman's status, if it's going to be long-term or not, but that allowed him to play 80-plus percent of the snaps and then the 75-yard touchdown. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's just a, a graveyard at tight end now if, if Hooper misses, if, if Kittle's forced to miss more time than just this potential game. So, yeah, anything that's there is definitely good. I'm assuming so many people already picked up Gerald Everett from past shows um and is eric ebron still below the threshold or above he is below the threshold but it seems like doyle is the preferred play while all these guys are out yeah i I think he is and i would have him above him slightly the only thing with eric ebron is and he had a really weird play where he catches a touchdown and as he's going to the ground it's ripped from his hands yeah yeah rip ripped from his hands and i I don't know if it was technically ruled a fumble i I don't know but um goes for a touchback instead so a huge swing there Uh, But midweek, he talked to the coach about increasing his role. Again, we don't know how much that actually matters, but he ends up seeing the most targets on the team, I believe. So he's somebody who I think I have like right behind Jack Doyle. Both of those guys are just going to be heavily involved with no Campbell out there and now no T.Y. Hilton for potentially another week or two. Uh, quarterbacks, the injuries keep piling up. Uh, it's the year of the quarterback injury, really. Matt Stafford has his back problem. No word yet, really, on how long that he's going to be out for. He could be back next week. He could be out for the entire season. Back, uh, as I can attest to right now, as someone who can't bend, uh, is not great. Probably hard to play quarterback if you got a back problem. Uh, Jacoby Brissett missed week 10, questionable for week 11. Case Keenum had the concussion. He was on a bye week. I think Haskins is going to end up starting, but if they flip-flop at midweek, not going to be super stunned. Cam Newton is out out for this season and Nick Foles and his shoulder will be back 
for week 11, taking over from Minshew Walk. Gardner Minshew, back to the bench, pal, for you. Nick Foles is back in. He's going to shed those glasses, get off the analytics team, wear his contacts, and he'll be fine under center at Indianapolis this week for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So the quarterback actual streams for the week, we have Kyle Allen at home against Atlanta. It's a nice matchup. Nick Foles at Indianapolis. Derek Carr at home against Cincinnati. Jeff Driscoll, just because of those rushing stats. Like, that's he and Ryan Finley both can run the ball uh, and not the worst matchups in the world. So at home against Dallas for Driscoll. Finley at Oakland, then Brendan Allen at Minnesota. I wouldn't normally put Brendan Allen on, but Minnesota's pass defense sucks. Yeah, they're bad. I mean, Trey Wayne's missed in the last game, but even if he plays, he has not been great at all. Xavier Rhodes has taken a huge step backwards. Yeah, we saw it the last game last night. Um, does We don't know if Trey Wayne's will be back, but even if he is, not the greatest of spots. So, yeah, I think that's fine to be on there, especially we're going to still have four teams on by. So, yeah, I would put him on there towards the bottom of the list, similar to how you did. Uh, defenses we looked ahead for this week and fortunately or hopefully you picked up both the Rams and Steelers last week the Steelers still just below the threshold right now they're number one Thursday night at the Cleveland Browns their defense looks incredible right now they're attacking uh, the secondary is amazing so when you're playing the Browns that's probably a good thing unless somehow Nick Chubb can get going and Baker Mayfield doesn't have to pass a whole bunch but Steelers at Cleveland Thursday night Jacksonville at home against Indianapolis this could be a Brian Hoyer game again but even if it is Jacoby I would like it less if it was Jacoby Brissett but if it is Brian Hoyer fire them up Oakland at home against Cincinnati against Ryan Finley we just saw that he's not great uh, and Baltimore had two defensive touchdowns Oakland not a great defense but could have ample opportunity here Carolina at home against the Falcons Dallas at Detroit, the Jets at Washington, then Washington at home against the Jets would be my streamers for the week. It really falls off a cliff here very quickly for defensive streams in week 11. Yeah, I like Carolina at home against Atlanta in a divisional game. And we just saw Atlanta play really well and their defensive line got going. But this Carolina defensive line has been just every single week slowly getting better and better. Um, We saw this past week getting a lot of pressure on Aaron Rodgers. And Matt Ryan is a guy who will make mistakes when pressured. Uh, has not been pressured as of late. Just they're they were doing very good at chipping him and, and get, keeping him upright in terms of their run blocking protection has been a lot worse. So yeah, it's a spot where I do like Carolina in that spot. And then Oakland against Ryan Finley. Finley is going to throw like five or six yards downfield at most every single time. So eventually he's going to make a mistake and be rushed. Uh, those are two spots that, that I do like this week for streaming options. Let's talk Monday Night Football then. Big game. It's going to be a fun game to watch. Probably the best Monday Night Football game I can remember in some time was... Was it Chiefs Vikings? Was that a was it Chiefs Vikings or was it Rams Vikings? I think that might have been a Thursday night game, not a Monday night game last year. Now there was a Monday night Chiefs game last year that was awesome, wasn't there? I I just remember the Chiefs and the Rams on Thursday night it was like the game of the year with just I yes. don't know like four defensive touchdowns and like a hundred and something points and through three quarters. Well, hopefully this one can live up to it. So we have Seattle at San Francisco. San Francisco is favored by six points in this game, as we pointed out earlier, that George Kittle is probably not going to play in this one. Do you have any sort of leans on this game? Because the total right now is 47 and a half as well. Yeah, I think I slightly just lean Seattle getting this many points with who I think is the better quarterback in the game. I would lean there. But once again, just not really interested at this point where the line is and taking a, a strong stance on either side. It's 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 a spot where I do want to lean Seattle, 
as road underdogs, it's scary because I think they get going the best by running the ball. So if they fall behind early, it's a really difficult spot for, even though they have talented receivers, really difficult spot for all of them against the secondary of the 49ers. Yeah, it's funny when we think about like the Niners and what they want to do on the ground, especially like you mentioned, if you look at some of the props for this game and rushing attempts, they won't even put the San Francisco players on the board for this because they have no idea how that's going to go. Only Chris Carson shows up as a prop for rushing attempts. He's 17 and a half for rushing attempts and then if you look at rushing and receiving yards then you can start getting access to the san francisco backfield carson's over under combined yards for the monday night game 96 and a half matt breda 59 and a half tevin coleman 65 and a half uh, any of those stick out to you yeah matt breda if anything just because i think the last couple of weeks his snap count has been less than it should because he's had to come out for like a series or two due to injuries but there's a good chance that that can continue to happen. So Abrita always being banged up in there, but that's the only one that stands out a little bit. It's just really tough to get a read on those guys. They're going to have probably, we'll see come lock, but four running backs active in the last game. And I mean, you had most star and Jeff Wilson Jr. Barely touching the ball or playing any snaps, but still active to potentially do that. Um, just a really tough spot overall to gauge. I think in a good day, you get Tevin Coleman playing around 55% of the snaps. And that's if Brita's is not playing well or injured. Uh, any receivers in this game you particularly like since Emmanuel Sanders has joined the 49ers it's basically been him and him only but now without Kittle around to soak up like 10 targets a game does that just mean more for Sanders or does that finally allow like a Dante Pettis or a Debo to finally break out yeah so it's definitely Sanders above all sort of the obvious one there I mean he's ran 15 or more routes than any wide receiver since since last week and then 17 more routes than any wide receiver since joining the team two weeks ago on the slate, he has by far just the best matchup individually for a receiver or tight end. He's going to get Jamar Taylor in the slot, who's been pretty poor so far this year for Seattle. And you just have really good secondary play for San Fran um, or against some of these San Fran wide receivers in terms of you're going to have um, Shaq Griffin potentially um, on a guy on the outside like Debo Samuel, who's a rookie. That's a terrible matchup. Dante Pettis has been running out of the slot before Sanders got there. So now that he's going to move to the outside, he's just going to be splitting those snaps with Kendrick Bourne. So in terms of showdown slates, Kendrick Bourne's like half the price, if not less than uh, a guy like Dante Pettis. And they're running the same amount of routes because they're just filling in for each other's routes, about 20 each, 22 each. So I actually prefer Kendrick Bourne. I don't know what his props are, if he has any, but if you're talking showdown, I don't like him on this slate, but if you're going to pick one of those guys, I'd rather just punt all the way down for him. Well, we'll discuss showdown here in a minute. No, he does not have anything. The big one here that could impact what happens in the backfield, whether it be rushing or whether it be receiving, probably more in the receiving game. Kyle Juszczyk is back for the first time in five weeks in this game. His over-under receiving prop, 10 and a half yards. That, that's kind of intriguing to me. Yeah, so that's just in the receiving game. That is a, that is a little bit intriguing, intriguing because, look, so the Patriots, they lost James Devlin, but then the 49ers are right there for the team that runs the most 21 personnel, so just a fullback on the field. I would expect him to have at least probably two targets in this game, so it's just a matter of can he bring in one of those, and if he brings in both, he probably hits it for you. So he's a guy that's heavily used in the offense, not only to block, but, I mean, we know for passing and rushing, so it just muddies the waters even more for the running backs in the rushing game. But, yeah, 10.5 seems like something I would take a shot on or a somewhat of a stance on, definitely like the over more. So he's played in three games so far this season. He has at least two targets in each of those games. He's averaging two catches per game, and he's gone over that number twice. He had 20 yards against the Browns in week three. He had only five yards against the Bengals in week two, but they won that game 41 to 17. And then against the Steelers, he had 51 yards receiving. So I think that might be my prop of the night. Kyle Juszczyk over 10 and a half yards receiving. Yeah, that, that's like a crazy one because you're literally just hoping for even a target in the game. So 
you're just sitting there. But yeah, I mean, more times than not, he they do have designed plays like fullback screens in this offense for him. So yeah, it's a fun one to do in a low target, uh, low overall yardage on that. So you just need what one play. Yeah, I mean, basically, if you can get the one catch, you hope it's good enough because they use them on wheel routes down the sidelines as well. That it's it's just going to take one, you'd hope. Yeah, exactly. That that's all it end up taking. And yeah, I see just in general, like looking at some of the props on here, like that's one that stands out. Yeah, you nailed it with all those 49ers running backs. Like they're so hard to choose between. Breida would be the guy that I think has the most upside for where they have his prop at. So aside from use check that backfield, that's probably where I go. Uh, DK showdown for the Monday night game. Again, Seattle at San Francisco. Russell Wilson's the most expensive player on the slate. Garoppolo is second, then Lockett, then Sanders, and the injured George Kittle. So you probably don't want to use him. What do you think uh, is the move here for building your showdown rosters? Yeah, this is extremely difficult because we have, we've never had this season or since I can remember two $11,000 quarterbacks. So it pretty much makes it, you can feel really comfortable that, both of them are not going to be needed at their price tags, let alone maybe even one of them. So if I'm going with a quarterback, I'm not going for the captain spot, but I would go Russell Wilson just because of the mobile upside. He's a six and a half point underdog. You factor in more pass attempts, but then you take into account the matchup for his individual receivers and himself. And it's brutal. So I currently lean not to even play a quarterback at all, which only works out like 15% of the time. But when you factor in context to this slate, it seems very likely that it should work out more times than not that you don't need an $11,000 quarterback. And they're both not in the greatest of spots for their game flows or matchups. So I think the move for me is just not play a quarterback and you save a ton of money automatically. And then Ross Dwelly filling in for a George Kittle last week. He ran 35 routes. He played or he ran um, 20, 22 routes, but he played on all the snaps once Kittle went down and Kittle ran 23 routes in that game. So I have him projected right now in this game to run 31 routes, which is just fantastic for a $2,000 player in a beneficial matchup against Seattle secondary. So Dwelly is $3,000 right now. That's actually, if he's a captain, he's actually $2,000 as an overall. Do you think that use check returning takes away the number of routes that he runs? I think it could hurt him a little bit in terms of just the formations that they go in, but not overall because we've seen use check. I think Dwelly's just going to take over the George Kittle role, which if that's the case, it really wouldn't impact. And that's what he did last week. It really wouldn't impact much of him as much as like a Dante Pettis or really Dante Pettis and Kendrick Bourne on the outside. I think what happens more here is if they run 21 personnel, so no slot wide receiver, you have Emmanuel Sanders move to the outside and then you have Debo Samuel on the outside and it just absolutely kills what you get out of Dante Pettis at his price tag. And it makes even a thousand dollar, Kendrick Bourne very thin so I think it's actually okay for Dwelly here I think the ones that probably benefit the or or take the biggest hit is really Dante Pettis on the outside and Kendrick Bourne Uh, Jacob Hollister was a hot pickup this week heading into season-long fantasy leagues he's $4,600 on draftings for the showdown contest but Luke Wilson's expected to play however Ed Dixon's also expected to return he's not even in the player pool for the uh, Monday night showdown contest right now so he's definitely scoring a touchdown at some point since no one can use him Uh, do you worry about someone like Hollister now that they'll have three tight ends active on this roster Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, it was really nice to see Hollister run 35 routes to Wilson's five last week. And I think he'll still be the primary guy, but he's also priced up like he's $4,600. He's around Debo Samuel in price tag, which for Samuel's matchup, it's okay to compare the two of them, honestly. Um, But Hollister, if he was, if there wasn't going to be any Ed Dixon, I'd have a little bit more upside in him. Ed Dixon kind of comes in, maybe he plays 25, 30% of the snaps off this injury, which really hits Hollister's numbers. So at 4,600 on this type of a slate where there's really no players in the $6,000 range, aside from Matt Breida, there's no players in the the $5,000 range. So if you just land on him, I think it's okay. Um, But I probably don't get there all that much. I'm probably just going to pay all the way down for a guy like Dwelly 
or one of those cheaper San Fran wide receivers and then kind of just build it sort of Starzy and Scrubsy. Hmm, that's pretty interesting. I want to give a shout out to guess who? Colin Drew from DailyRoto.com. Uh, he won 120k on the Sunday night showdown contest. Does that guy win every single on, week a showdown? On, well, the thing oh. is, he, he he I had him on two weeks ago on the uh, on the show, and he had won the week before on a showdown contest, but he hadn't won in two weeks, so he, he was more than overdue to win. I believe this is now his 14th showdown DraftKings GPP win. So if people out there want to uh, get the access to tools that Colin actually uses, uh, dailyroto.com, if you use the promo code, the PME, you'll get yourself a discount off that. Uh, It's a proven winner. I'm not going to lie to you. If you can figure out how to use the tools as well as Colin has, you can be printing money because that, at this point, it's not an anomaly. He wins basically once every four weeks. Yeah, I was, I was about to say that. Like, I, I was pretty positive I saw him win sometime in the past month, so two weeks ago, that makes sense. Yeah, that is, that's nuts. I mean, yeah, if you're winning 14 times showdown slates, it, look, they're, they're so variant, and um, just, like, in terms of the way that he's winning, it's it's clearly, like, through the tool and the optimizer entering so many of those lineups. So, yeah, for the people that, like, just say out there, oh, he's entering so many lineups, he can end up winning it, it's, it's not anywhere near that easy. Um, but the fact that he's winning that many times, there's something to it, something methods to the madness of that tool. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty wild. That's incredible. 14 showdown victories. Yeah, I, I think it's funny. People are just like, well, if you play 150 lineups, of course you're going to win. If you were for sure going to win, if you played 150 lineups and the first prize is $120,000 or $100,000 uh, in the showdown contest, why wouldn't you just do that and just have $100,000? Yeah, exactly. Why wouldn't you take out a $1,000 loan or something like that and turn it into it if you think it, if you're that confident or even if you're not that confident, just play one of the, the lower 50 cent tournaments and end up 150ing that and and you can go ahead and win 5k or something. Yeah, yeah, it turns out that's not actually how it works. You need to actually you need to put together the puzzle in the proper way and clearly Colin has figured that out. So maybe we'll have to have him on again. I actually do have a showdown contest strategy session with colin drew if you just search that on the DraftKings youtube channel or on the pat mayo experience audio podcast colin goes through like how he constructs his lineups uh, the detail how many players from each teams that he uses when he looks at the over-unders how that affects his selections how to put people in his player pool how to take people out of his player pool and really what to consider it's very interesting and he lays it out for for you and if you have the he has a huge article up behind the paywall on dailyroto.com it's a pretty valuable thing to tell you the truth like i mentioned promo code the pme will get you access to that if you sign up at dailyroto.com and it's not just football basketball has just started uh ricky sanders who works over at daily roto 100k last week so they're doing well over at daily roto i guess i shouldn't have left sal (laughs) (laughs) i mean i I honestly did not know you were there but yeah uh, everything seems to be good from that the the showdown thing is still mind-boggling to me but yeah i saw sanders win as well so uh, congrats all them and, and definitely yeah check all that stuff out it's pretty cool uh any love for the san francisco defense tonight as a fantasy play like if we look at adjusted sack rates, Seattle right now has given up 22 sacks, seven and a half adjusted sack rate. So on Russell Wilson, 7.5% of the time that he drops back to pass, he gets sacked. They just don't pass as much as most teams with bad offensive lines. But as six-point underdogs, rarely do you see Seattle in the situation that if they do have to pass, let's say, 40 times in this game against the league's best attacking defensive line, it could be somewhat problematic. We know that if we can get Russell Wilson up to that point, he will take a lot of sacks he doesn't turn the ball over much but he hasn't faced a defense like this yet either yeah so i think that pretty much 
I do have interest in them because of their price tag. So they're priced right now at $5,200. And just in terms of like game strategy, where I'm ending up a lot on just looking at stuff early on is that price range is pretty much Josh Gordon and their defense. And then there's nothing else even around it for the most part. So Gordon at best is going to play like red zone limited snaps. That's not great for his price tag. So I'm ending up on them. It's a variant position, but like you said, really good defensive line versus offensive line matchup. It's tough to bring Russell Wilson to the ground when he scrambles so much. Like, yeah, he might be sacked four times. He should probably be sacked seven times in that game. Doesn't make a ton of mistakes, but if you're relying on just some sort of fumble fluky thing for a touchdown, I actually like it based on where all the pricing is for the slate. A lot of cheap receivers and super difficult matchups, or you can just take a shot on a variant defense that for the most part has been getting a lot of pressure and their secondary has been strong, which usually translates to at least upside in fantasy points. All right, Salvetri, any final thoughts on the week? Mine will be over. Kyle Juszczyk, 10 and a half receiving yards for the Monday night game. What do they have as Ross Dwelly? Do they have a number on his receiving yards? They do not, I believe. Let's see. Ross Dwelly, no. He is not on the board. Okay, that, that would have been my stance if something was on that. I, I'll, I'll take the over on Matt Breida just because I think that's the most upside in it. I don't feel confident in that, but if he just stays healthy, there's a really good chance he hits that number. So that's probably where I end up on the, the Monday night slate. All right, Sal, let everyone know what you got going on this week, where they can find your shows, and what among the myriad sports that you're covering right now. Yeah, so every single day on the YouTube channel and also stripped into a podcast, the Sal Vetri Show on any of the podcast platforms is NBA videos and, and podcast episodes every morning um, covering those slates. And then NFL, every single day, there'll be content over on the YouTube channel as well. Uh, you can check all that out at my YouTube channel. Just my name, Sal Vetri, And then Twitter is at Sal Vetri DFS. All right, I'm Pat Mayo. You can follow me on the Twitter, the Instagrams, and the Facebooks if you're old at the PME. No shocker there. The link for the Pat Mayo experience, DraftKings Open, will appear once I get it in the description of this video or podcast. It can be found on all of the shows during the week as well. As well, I mean, all the football shows. The football link isn't on the golf show. That wouldn't make any sense now. But the updated waiver wire rankings will continue to be updated along with the injury report on DKPlaybook.com. The link to that is also in the description, as is the snap share photos to tell you who played the most snaps at running back for each of the teams. You can also find that on my Instagram page as well if you want to get into a draw for 20 dk bucks smash the like button for the episode leave your DraftKings handle in the comments section tell me your favorite waiver wire pickup for the week if devonta freeman's out for a while brian hill's the guy if not for right now jd mckissick is probably my preference because of his pass catching prowess and a bad quarterback if stafford has to miss some time but if anyone gets signed to the lions then it's probably not going to be great anyway thank you all for tuning in i'm pat mayo i'll see you next time experience Experience!